I'm excited to be with you today, Faith Family. I want to start off by first welcoming every single one of you uh, to tuning in to this stream of ours as we're going to have an opportunity once again to get into God's Word. I'm excited to teach God's Word today. In fact, if you have a Bible, please go on ahead and grab it and turn together with me to a little book in the Old Testament that we call Ruth. And as you're beginning to make your way to the book of Ruth, we're going to start off in Ruth in chapter 1. Ruth in chapter 1. As you're making your way there, you can still remember, it's a little while ago, not too long ago, uh, there was an opportunity we had, I had with my kids to visit uh, some good friends where we made our way into their home, and my kids couldn't help but notice that their fireplace was a little different than the one that we've had at, at home. Ours is this gas thing you turn on with this switch, the, you know, the fake ones. Well, these kids saw a real one for the first time, one that probably like you, myself, I grew up with, which I miss, where you put actual logs in. And they were asking me as we were sitting around eating our, our food, I said, Dad, um, we don't have a fireplace like that. Uh, that looks uh, different. Is that, is that real fire? I'm like, yeah, that's real fire. You could put your hand, you could put your hand in there. Uh, that looks a little risky. I'm like, yeah, that's right. It is, it is risky. As long as you know what you're doing, kids. As long as you know what you're doing. In fact, you see the cage there? They put that up there after they, they light the fire, and it kind of helps. And, you know, um, there was something to that, because I often get a chance to do singleness and dating and relationship and marriage conferences and, and seminars and Q&As with people who are planning and preparing to get themselves um, married. And they often will ask me, Neb, what, what is your take on dating or relationships these days? Or do you have anything to say about relationships? I like to start off with an analogy to help my answer to them. And, it, and it's related to the experience that my kids had with the fire in the real fireplace. You see, a fire in the fireplace, it's, it's great. It's fine. Amen? Uh, it provides warmth. It provides heat. It, it warms everybody who's in that house. It, it does its job, and everybody's benefiting from it. But here's the thing. Uh, you get that same fire, or maybe one of those embers or logs on fire, out of that fireplace, rolling onto the carpet, in that family room, we've got a problem. And I think relationships a lot of times are just like that. Rather than saying, ah, all relationships are bad. Nobody should ever get into one. Believe me. Hear my story. Let me tell you. Or just go into them without any thought or wisdom or counsel. I don't think any one of those are wise moves. I, again, I think that analogy goes with what we're talking about today. And I think if we're going to enter into relationships, if we're going to want to pursue lifelong unions with, with someone that we're going to not only spend our life with, but do, do mission with and serve God's purposes together with, we're going to want to make sure that we hear from God's word. And that's what I want to spend the next few moments together with you in. And that's where we're at in the book of Ruth. I, I've titled this message, A Risky Love risky love. And my first point, 
as we're about to begin, is has to do with a risky plan, a risky plan. And it starts off in chapter 3 of verse 1 with Naomi and Ruth, where the text tells us there that Naomi, her, her mother-in-law, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Verse 2, is not Boaz your relative, our relative, with whose young women you were. This is beautiful. This is very interesting. You, you got to get this. Where's Naomi been in relationship to God, herself, and others? Not a good place. I mean, up till now, we really haven't seen Naomi like this, interested in Ruth's well-being and interested in Ruth's future and Ruth finding rest. Yes, she prayed a little bit in chapter 1 and verse 9 for God to bless her, but as far as she's concerned, She's pretty much been self-absorbed, and she's been into her own thing. She hasn't really gotten over all that has happened to her life, to her marriage, to her children, and everything that took place since they've left Bethlehem. She's been a little bit out of shape. In fact, she's treated God as someone who's been out to get her. But thanks to God and His kindness, He's done a work on her life, like He's done in many of our lives, and with time and through time, things began to change. We're actually seeing Naomi have a change of heart, believe it or not. And we're seeing that emerge and come out through just the way that she's willing to sh relate and concern herself with Ruth. It's beautiful. You see, bitterness, I think this is important for us to keep in mind. And this is a takeaway I want you to note. Bitterness always leads us inward to a life of self-pity, and self-absorption. Maybe you know someone like this. You probably have a loved one you could think of, someone in your circle where they're not around anymore, at least not like they were. And what was it? It was an event. Maybe parent died, spouse died, children passed, someone disappointed them, a person betrayed them, a hope, a dream that they had never came to pass. And unless we're careful, we could blame all of that upon who? Upon God. To where we keep a distance between us and God, and we hold it against Him. Well, that not only robs us of our relationship with Him, it robs us of whatever His plan was for our lives. And so we go inward, as it were. We pull away from God. We pull away from community. We pull away from relationship. We pull away from others. And now we're just into ourselves until it just eats us, till there's no more of us. And we see people like this who go down the same path of Naomi where they don't put an end to bitterness in their life when they first see it rear its ugly head, but rather they allow it to grow like weeds in their heart to where it results in them becoming self-absorbed. See, bitterness results in self-absorption. Bitterness takes me away from others, focusing outwardly, and it causes me to go in in a life of self-absorption. Repentance, which is what we began to see with Naomi, which is what led her back to Bethlehem, is what results in us taking our eyes off of ourselves and away from ourselves and toward God and others to a life of not self-absorption, but others' absorption. And that's the key to breakthrough. That's the key to the victory that God wants us to see in our life. And the same thing that God is doing and has done for Naomi, he wants to do for you and for me. So it doesn't matter if bitterness is in your heart. 
in this season of your life, we can give it like Naomi did to God. And we could see God do a work from the inside out to where we're available now, not only to him, but the way in which he wants us to be involved in other people's lives. I thank God that Ruth has Naomi, this version of Naomi. And here she is with counsel. (laughs) Here she is, I called it with a plan, but a risky plan. And you'll see what I mean by that. Follow me. Verse 2, end of verse 2. See, concerning Boaz, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to that threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. <laughs> You're probably thinking, exactly, is, is, is this the bright idea? Is this, is this, do we call this a plan? I don't know, but apparently it's Naomi's. Is this, uh, well, we're about to see. You see, Naomi's at this point where some time is the last. Remember, Boaz encountered Ruth in chapter 2. And he blessed her. He met her with favor and grace. Ruth went from being a nobody and having nothing to Boaz wanting to protect her and to provide for her as an employer and as a friend and wanting to bless her. Naomi finds out who Ruth meets in the field and how Boaz meets those needs of hers. And Naomi's thinking, could it be? (laughs) Could it be that though you're a widow now, you may be married tomorrow? Is this what God has up his sleeve? Is this the plan? And so Naomi starts, as many people do, with her mind starts turning, and she's thinking, okay, how can I help God? She says, you know what? Maybe I need to wait on the Lord. Maybe I need to just get out of God's way. And so she she tries to. At this point in chapter 3 and verse 1, it could be weeks, two, three, five, seven, eight, a number of weeks from the time that Boaz last encountered Ruth and spent time with her to now. And so Naomi's on edge. She's thinking, what's going on? I thought there was something there. I thought he was it, Ruth. <laughs> I thought we had a marriage ahead of us. Where's he at? Have you talked to him? Have you all been out? Uh, Can you tell me anything? No. It's been weeks. And so Naomi says, you know what? Maybe it's not enough to just pray. Maybe I need to do something. So she gets busy. And I don't think God is faulting Naomi for doing that. Yes, she prays to God in chapter 1 and verse 9 for God to help Ruth find rest by finding a husband. But over here in chapter 3, she begins to move with a plan out of a desire to want to secure rest for her. And that's a good thing. And it's not so much the desire and the willingness to be God's hands and feet that's the problem. By the way, it shows us the relationship between God's involvement and our involvement. Which is it? It's not either or. It's both and, right? And some of the ways in which God's going to work in our lives is by us stepping out and saying, God, use me to bless my brother, to bless my sister. And that's what Naomi is wanting to do. That's not the problem. It's Naomi's plan that's the problem. Let's look at it. So she tells her about Boaz. Isn't Boaz at the field? Isn't he at the threshing floor? Isn't it payday? Isn't it harvest time? Isn't this the the best time of the year? 
Shouldn't he be in good spirits? Shouldn't this be a good occasion? Well, I need you to get ready and I need you to be there. But before you do, you can't be going like you have been to the field with dirt under your fingernails, with your hair all tied up in a bun and with that clothes on. I want you to get washed up, put some perfume on, get your hair all done, get all dolled up and get that best dress out that really draws attention and gives men a double take. All right. Once you do, then I want you to take the trip. But I want to make sure you understand. Don't make yourself known. Not just yet, at least. Wait till midnight. The man's worked all day. He's tired. He's responsible for a lot of people. All right. And you got to make this plan work. We don't want to. Everything matters. Everything counts, Ruth. All right. Timing is everything. <laughs> Look at Naomi. And so here she is. And she says, as soon as he falls asleep, make sure you mark and note where it is he is. I don't want you approaching any man. I want to make sure it's Boaz. You approach any man with the news I want you to bring, we're in trouble. Your safety is at risk. Your reputation is gone. So go there. And Ruth hears all this. And she says, uh, okay, all that you say, I'll do. Here's the thing. <laughs> That's risky. A threshing floor was not only a place where field workers would harvest wheat by winnowing with instruments, tossing up the wheat, causing the chaff to fly in one direction. The breeze would come and, and take it away and allowing the wheat, which is heavier than the chaff, to fall to the ground so that they can bundle it up and carry it. It was also the place where the men, the field workers, would rest. Oftentimes, they wouldn't be able to collect everything all in one night. And so they wouldn't go back home because robbers can come in the night and steal their profits. So what the men would do typically would be they would sleep. They would camp out. So this was almost like a camp out session for these men, including Boaz. So here he is camping out in the middle of, of nowhere while it's pitch dark. And Ruth is supposed to travel from wherever she is all the way to where all these men are in the dark at midnight and approach this man by his feet and lie down? Yes. But the threshing floor was also a place where men would encounter prostitutes. That's why this text is a little subtle in the way in which Naomi is laying out this plan. In Hosea chapter 9 and verse 1, we're told even that, that they, there would be prostitutes that would connect with men during these times. And normally what they would do is they would wait for payday. They would wait for harvest to come. Why? Because if there was ever a day of the week or, or, or the month where the men had the most money, it was right now. They're not only harvesting, they're getting paid. So these men got a lot of money in their pockets, and therefore they got a lot of things that they could do with their money. And in comes these women from town, these prostitutes. And so it was customary for there to be a lot of illicit sexual activity going on. And Naomi in her plan, is devising that Ruth show up as a Moabite woman, lie at the feet of a man, and uncover his feet, which is innuendo in the Bible, not in every case, but in many cases. This is innuendo for sexual relations. It was actually a euphemism in some cases for not the feet literally, but when you uncover the feet, you're really saying uncover the man's genitalia. Now, is that what Naomi is saying? Maybe not. Probably not. But it's hard not to draw that sort of conclusion. 
Naomi isn't making it easy. I'll say that much. And this is what Ruth has going for herself. What's the point for us? Mark this. Take, note this takeaway. The, the ends don't justify the means. So though Naomi's heart is right in terms of she means well, she's beginning to turn around, but you can tell she's not entirely turned around. Amen? Right? Um, yes, she's come back to Bethlehem. Yes, she's come to her ways. Yes, she's begun to acknowledge God. But like all of us, even when we repent, even when we come back to God and come back to church, it takes some time. It takes some time. And I think it's taking some time for Naomi. Her plan and her scheme is a little hasty. It's a little rash. It looks like a little bit of Naomi is in there with God. It's not, it doesn't seem like it's all God. You with me? And I, and I think that's important because what you're noticing is, I thought I saw a little bit of this before. Yeah. What was it and what plan was it that got Naomi and her family out of Bethlehem in the first place to Moab when the, when the famine first hit? They, along with the Limelech, having their own plan. And they got hasty. Rather than looking to God and waiting upon the Lord, what did they do? They came up with their own bright idea. And where, where did it land them? In Moab. And how did it go? Not well. And here, it doesn't seem like Naomi really learned every lesson to be learned from that previous experience, because I see a little bit of that in her plan. But here's the deal. God's still at work. So even though the ends don't justify the means, God's still at work. He's, he's going to keep Ruth. He's going to look after Ruth. And Ruth, you would think, it's like, Ruth, didn't you just hear that? She's almost trafficking you. <laughs> you got a mother-in-law trafficking a daughter-in-law. It's like she's pimping her out to the threshing floor. It's like, you should say, Mom, hello, you got me all. I mean, I'm going to have all eyes on me. I'm, I'm basically asking for it. I feel like the thirst trap is on with me. Like, are you sure God told you to tell me to do this? She doesn't do that. She just says, all that you say, I will do. Wow. What sort of loyalty on the part of Ruth? Here's something I want to bring up for all of us. Maybe um, you're a supervisor in your job or, or, or you're a mother or father, parents, or you're an employer, or you occupy some administrative position at a school or Maybe you're a leader in ministry or in a church. You're a pastor. This is a weighty message for us at this point, right? Naomi has a lot of authority and influence in her hands. And that's how Ruth sees her, right? And I think Ruth believes like God is talking through Naomi. Ruth doesn't even want to question what's coming from Naomi. She just goes right along with it. What's the point? I should really treat the words that come out of my mouth soberly. I should recognize, yeah, I hope people will listen and take into account and weigh whether what I'm saying is the case. But there are some people who may have a conscience and they may have a sensitivity and they just may just have a, a trust in what I say or what I advise or what I counsel. Well, that shouldn't discourage me from offering counsel, but it should discourage me from wanting a lot of me in my counsel. You with me? And I think this is important for us, that we're not trying to serve our ends with the plans that we give our children or our students or our employees or our members, that we really do have their interest at heart 
And better yet, we have God's interests at heart, even if it means waiting for God in God's way and in God's time. And Naomi was partly there, but she wasn't entirely there. And now Ruth, that's all she has to go with. And here she is, verse 6. So number one, not only is there a risky plan, number two, there's a bold proposal. So she went down to the threshing floor. This is speaking of Ruth at this point. She did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Verse 7, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk, just like Naomi had anticipated, I don't know how she knew this, but she did. And his heart was merry, meaning he's had some wine. He's, he's in good spirits right now. He's not going to be on edge at this point. So if you were to approach him, if you were to have words for him, he's not going to be like, what? <laughs> Get out of here. What is this? That's important. She, Naomi was saying, make sure you approach him with something of this sort of weighty subject matter at the right time. So here he is. He's eaten. He's married. He's had time for rest. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. We don't know how others didn't see him. Yes, it is dark, but perhaps these, these heap of grain are so big that men could kind of lie down and find a little secret places for themselves, a little obscurity, so that they all have their own space. And here she comes alongside him, and she approaches him. She remembers what Naomi said to her. She comes softly. She uncovers his feet to lie down. Verse 8, at midnight midnight. The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at him, lay at his feet. I mean, this is like if you're a salesman or you're, you work for a corporation, your company sends you on a business trip, and here you are. Uh, you're in your hotel, you try to make it there on time, and you have um, work the next day, but here it's night. You're in your hotel, and you wake up in the middle of the night because of maybe a, an open window and there's a woman in the hotel room and you're wondering, how did you get in here? How am I going to explain this? Who are you? And here they're outside. They're field workers. And Boaz is trying to figure out, who is this? And Naomi responds, I, not Naomi, but Ruth, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over. She doesn't waste any time. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I know that may not make uh, much sense. When they say spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, that's a, a term, an expression that's used that was familiar to them, but not to us. In fact, in many parts of the Arab world, they still use this term. Some of your versions may even have um, the corner of your garment instead of wings. Uh, you'll remember Boaz said this of, with uh, Ruth, and Ruth was saying this in terms of God covering Ruth. That was a picture of being saved, being brought un under his covenant relationship. In this case, it's a term that's used not so much to say, marry me. It was a term that was used to say, Look, if you're considering anyone for marriage, please consider me as a likely candidate. That's what she's saying. Make sure that I'm, I'm right there as, as, as a potential pick. Right? That's what she's saying. She's coming out. She, she, she comes, as Naomi says, and she does as Naomi told her to do. And 
But she goes beyond that. She not only fulfills Naomi's plan, she goes above and beyond that. Why? Because Naomi never said anything about him being a redeemer. She says, for you are a redeemer. And in verse 10, you'll see why this is important. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, get this, greater than the first. Huh? This last one, greater than the first. That's going to be important. In that, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or whether rich. So Boaz, at this point, is saying, so he's, he's woken up by now, <laughs> right? And he's handled this situation with poise, I got to say. Uh, I know uh, you may be like me where if I wake up in the morning, don't talk to me, don't bring up any important matter until I have my first cup of coffee. Maybe some of you are like that at noon. Others of you could be like that at night. But Boaz, Boaz, you would think being startled and woken up in the middle of the night with his reputation on the line along with another woman's would respond and act from a whole nother place. But he doesn't. Rather, he responds from a a place of poise. And he listens to what she says. So now he knows why she's there and he knows who it is. And he says, wow, I got to praise God and bless God for you. Why? Because he realizes that she's not only requesting to be a likely candidate for marriage, she's also expressing to him why she went, chose to go with him over against any other man. This is going to be important for us as application. Boaz says, wow, you neither went after men who are poor or who are rich or wealthy. What he's saying is, I got to give it to you. Again, your reputation speaks for itself. Again, your character is showing Ruth. I mean, you don't ever seem to cease to amaze me. You have decided to choose a man for marriage, not on the basis of just lust and passion, like with a poor man, like regardless. I mean, there are a lot of people who just go with someone. They're not thinking like, how can you build anything? The person's life isn't even together. Yeah, but I just feel a certain way. That's not you, Ruth. Nor have you gone with someone who is wealthy and rich, who's a young man, which you could have done. There are plenty of qualified bachelors around you but rather you've chosen to go with someone like me, an older man. Why not, the, why not the wealthy man? So neither was passion what drove you to pick your mate, nor was greed your motivation to pick your mate. So then what was godliness? Because that's what Boaz had. Remember in chapter two, he's a worthy man, a, a man worthy of imitation. He's a godly man. His name was written on one of the pillars uh, of Solomon's temple. So this is a man who is not only worthy, this is a woman who's also worthy and they meet. They encounter each other. And he recognizes that this is a woman who lives out of her godliness. This is a woman who makes decisions and choices based upon her faith. And he commends her for that. But it's not just godliness. It's this. Remember the word redeemer. Remember, she says, she calls him for you are, verse nine, a redeemer. What's the point? We'll get to it in just a moment, but I will say this much. 
with him being a redeemer, it has less to do with Ruth and what she's getting out of this relationship. And it has more to do, or additionally, to do with Naomi and how Naomi can benefit from this situation. Remember, Naomi's a widow. She's an older woman. She's not going to get married again. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead and gone. She has no grandchildren. Her family line is about to go extinct. No legacy. No one is going to follow. Whatever was said of them is no longer going to be. I mean, this is how Naomi's life has got to come to an end. So you can see a little bit of why the bitterness marked her life, because she had nothing to build, nothing to leave any subsequent generation, even though Ruth is in her life because Ruth is not married. But now, not only has Ruth found someone, because that's not really significant, she could have found anyone. She found someone that could not only benefit her, but can also benefit Naomi and her lineage. And Boaz is saying, wow, so you mean to tell me you took into account who you're going to pick for marriage, not just what you want and what you're looking for, but also how it would benefit your family? I know that's foreign to our culture. A lot of times, like who we date, who we're in relationship with, who we marry, I could care less if my parents like him. I could care less if I could bring him home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. I could care less if they would ever give my my parents a hand around the house or in the garage or with the car or pick up groceries or, or help out in any sort of way or, or bless them in any sort of way. I mean, after all, my relationships are all about me, right? Isn't that how we are? We operate from that sort of individualistic perspective, not Ruth. Yeah, Ruth wanted to be attracted to the man that she would marry. She wanted to take an interest in the man that she would marry. She wanted to love the man that she would marry, but she went beyond that. And that is what amazed Boaz. Can we learn something from Ruth? Especially those of us who come from a completely different angle from our culture. Could we learn something from Ruth? Because I know a lot of times we don't even want to bother. We see difficulties like, oh man, I see your mom. I, I can't get along with your, your dad. I don't know if it's ever going to work. But Ruth had the same situation. It's not like her relationship with Naomi was all roses, was it? No, it was difficult. It was on the rocks. It was shaky. And Ruth felt the misery in that home. And yet she committed herself to her mother-in-law. She invested in her relationship with her mother-in-law and she worked at it. I think we can use that lesson. I, can, we, I think we could learn something for, from Ruth who serves for us as a case study. So as you're out there trying to find him or trying to find her, or maybe you have, I want to encourage you along with myself. One of the ways in which we glorify God and live out our faith and are a witness with our lives and our marriages or our relationships on the way to marriage is by not only investing in the one we finally found, but also investing in the ones that surround that one. You with me? I know it's hard. I know it may not be easy, and I know the tempting route would be, come on, baby, and let's just drive into the night sky. Let's just leave this city. Let's get out of Dodge. Let's do our own thing. Forget them. But that's not Ruth. And Ruth is a picture not only of what women should follow. Ruth is a picture of what any godly person should follow. And I think the saying is true. You, you love me. You love my family. You don't marry just the person. You marry the family. And I think you'll be blessed. And I think 
your family will be blessed. I think your children, once they come into the picture, will be blessed because they have grandparents to be around. And I think their children will be blessed. Now you're thinking of a legacy. That's Ruth. She's not just thinking about herself. She's thinking in terms of legacy. You can either live to have a good time or you could live to be able to produce a good legacy. Which is it? And here, Boaz commends her. Verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. Do not fear. So not only do we have a risky plan, number one. Number two, we also, we had this bold proposal. We also have number three, and lastly, a generous, a generous, generous provision. And now, Boaz says, my daughter. He calls her daughter. So it speaks to the affection that he's prepared to have toward her. Even if you may not be dad age, you can still have the father's heart toward the member of the opposite sex, toward the women in your life. That you see them as objects, not of your gratification, but women made in the image of God. You see, what Boaz is doing is he's saying, I know how God must see you. I know how God must relate to you. I know how God must be a father toward you, and I know what you must mean to him. And therefore, I want to be mindful that I, as I am spending time with you, as I am relating to you, I'm relating to you as one who, who knows who your ultimate father is. You see? Who your ultimate father is. This is, this is very important. You see, um, we should never, never, ever make a mistake never mistake temptation for opportunity. I mean, this was an opportunity for, I mean, this could have gone any number of ways, right? Uh, on the one hand, this whole plan of Naomi's could have resulted in some men finding out or some individuals there waking up, being alerted and discovering who she is and who she's with. And, and that could have destroyed her reputation. That could have also put her at risk because any man that she would have encountered in, in the stead of Boaz, or maybe even if she encountered a man on the way to coming to this threshing floor, could have easily taken advantage of her, discovering that she's a Moabite. She already has a racy past, at least in terms of her ancestry and her heritage, and chances are she wouldn't mind if I were to. I mean, after all, what is she doing out here at midnight? What does she expect, right? What is she doing out here with all that perfume and her hair done in that way and, and that dress on? She saw it coming. She had it coming. Isn't that what we say in our day and age? It's like, if you didn't want that to happen to you, you shouldn't have been dressed that way. You shouldn't have been out there that way. You shouldn't have been in these sort of spaces. And here she is. So not only was her sexual purity at risk, her reputation was at risk. The other thing is, Bo Boaz could have encountered her, and let's say that didn't happen. And he could have said, you know what? I don't want you, and I don't know what you're doing here, and I'm offended. Now go back and tell this to Naomi. And so she took a risk. She, she took a risk of, of being turned down. Uh, by the way, unless you're prepared to handle being turned down by someone, you're not ready for a real relationship. I think that's what the message is telling us. Ruth was ready for that. But here's Here's the other thing. Boaz, what if it ended up being the case that he took advantage of her, slept with her? 
and sends her back. Says, Naomi, you can't get upset with me. I mean, after all, what do you think? Coming up with a plan like that. You don't, you didn't think that this had, was a high possibility that this was going to happen? And how can Ruth fault him if you were to take advantage of her? You come to, to, to my campsite, you come into my tent at midnight, you come into my hotel at midnight, you lie at my feet, you uncover my feet, and you didn't expect that? This came at great risk. But Boaz doesn't do that, does he? This is important. What Boaz is teaching us is that we're to never mistake temptation for opportunity. So even though the temptation presented himself, he didn't take advantage of it. But rather, his character showed all the more. How do we know? You see that right here. Verse 11, and now my daughter. I mean, he just ate, he had drink, it's night, he's relaxed. He's in a place where nobody would know he could get away with it, clean it up, and be on his way. And yet, he not only models integrity in this area, sexually speaking, at noonday, in public, in the presence of all, he's showing for us men what integrity looks like, even in the secret places. There are times where sometimes, you know what? I know sometimes we get ourselves into foolish messes. And as a result of that, we sin. And there's no one else to blame but ourselves. Hmm? But then there are other times simply because of the kind of world that we live in where we can't help it. We're driving by. We see the billboards, billboards I should say. Um, we may be on business trips and we find out that there's some event or party or a lot of traffic at the hotel where we happen to be checking in and we encounter people who are racy and who are trying to make advances toward us or we may be in work settings and work environments in our own town where in break rooms and, and near water coolers or wherever the case may be people may be a little too overimposing sexually and in those cases it's upon us to not give in to those things but to know what to do i mean it was martin luther who said i believe i can't i can't i I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, right? We can't stop birds if we're out and about. We can't stop birds from flying over our head. But what I can do is I can stop those same birds from landing on my head and building a nest and camping out. What he was saying is he was talking about temptation. And he was saying, look, I can't stop temptations from coming my way, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. Jesus said, I, I pray for them and I ask that you not take them out of the world, but that you keep them while they're in the world, right? So we can't stop temptations from coming our way, right? They're, they're going to come. But what I can do is make sure that I don't see temptations as occasions for an opportunity for me to, do, to be excused to do whatever I want. And I'm thankful that Boaz in his life and in this moment at midnight, is modeling that for us. Verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, all right? Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. This is beautiful. See, at this point, what Boaz is doing is 
He's modeling poise for you and me. He's not paralyzed. He's not frozen. It's not a deer in the headlights moment. He's not freaking out saying, okay, all right, this this wasn't the best move. All right, Naomi gave you this plan. All right, this is her idea. Oh, am I going to talk to her when I see her? All right, but you're here. Okay, I trust you. I believe you. That wasn't your intention, even though the way you came at me, the perfume lying at my feet and covering my feet, coming at night, the risk of people seeing you, waking up, catching you and me, it has all the messages and the signs, but I know I'm, I'm going to trust your heart. I'm going to trust your intentions and your motivation. Okay, but we've got to have a plan. You see, he's a worthy man. Remember what I said weeks ago, what a worthy man is? It's a man not only of war, He's also a man of wealth, but he's also a man of wherewithal, which means he's a man who gets the job done. He's a man of poise. He's a man who's, who's thinking about not just the problem, but the solution. Okay, how can we clean this up? What do we do next? How can we fix this situation? Right? We need people like that in our communities, in our churches, in our homes. It's like, all right, what may be said about what brought all this about is one thing, but how can I? See, rather than faulting Naomi, Rather than faulting Ruth, rather than tearing her down, he shows kindness and grace by saying, how can I redeem? He's already modeling being a redeemer. Not by saying, I am a redeemer, but by showing it through his actions. Look, he's thinking, he's plotting, he's planning about, how can I protect this woman's safety? How can I look after her reputation? I mean, he's other-centered. He's focused upon her. How can I make sure that my reputation is preserved? How can I get you back? How can I take care of you? I mean, your request is not wrong. It's not bad. I honor it. I would love even. I mean, I, I value you. But remember, I told you we'll talk and we'll get to what a redeemer means. I am a redeemer, but I'm not the only redeemer. You might not be familiar with this. So let me just take a, a, a second to unpack this. In the Old Testament, there's something referred to as a kinsman redeemer or a relative redeemer. And you would see their benefit in many ways. God, as a provision, wrote it into the law to be able to take care of his covenant people, right? This was the way. In the Old Testament, the way in which God showed his blessing was it was tied to his people and to his land. And therefore, you'll see why that had to be preserved and looked after from generation to generation. And a kinsman redeemer would be helpful and would come through anytime there were any number of situations that took place. For instance, um, an Israelite individual or family got into a tight spot where they could only save themselves by selling themselves into slavery, right? A kinsman redeemer would come in and and, and buy them back out of slavery so that they can be freed from slavery, right? And be their own person. The person had to be related to that family. In the second instance, if it wasn't that sort of situation, there would be another case where someone's land and property, because of getting into a tight spot, had to, in order to rescue themselves, be sold out and over into the hands of someone else. So now they're without it. A kinsman redeemer would come in and they would buy back their mortgage or their property or their assets so that it would be back into the hands of that person. But there's also another situation where, uh, say someone is married, but the husband dies and now the widow is a woman, but they have no 
children, especially a son. What do you do in that situation? Because unless something is done, that family, once this individual dies, is done. It doesn't perpetuate. It doesn't go on. They're extinct. Their line has come to an end. Remember, God's after land and people. And so in order to protect that and save that or redeem that, a kinsman redeemer would be necessary. This was what God, in His kindness, instituted in His law. But it couldn't just be anybody. And so what they had was, it was called a leveret marriage take place. And you'll see this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, if you wanted to look into that. A leveret marriage. Leveret comes from levir, right? Which means um, brother-in-law. And so the, it has to be the husband's, deceased husband's brother, who's willing to step in and father a child in the stead of the deceased husband so that the legacy might continue, right? Now, if it, it doesn't have to necessarily be the biological brother. It can also be, next to that, a distant relative. But in any case, it had to be a kin, a relative. Enter Boaz. That's how Boaz comes into the picture. You see, and Boaz is hearing, and he's like, wow, Ruth, you've been reading your Bible. How'd you know this? You're a Moabite. Right? And so she's thinking of Naomi and she's realizing this is, Naomi has plans? I got plans. <laughs> but notice, Naomi's plans were a little shaky. Naomi's plans were a little uh, risky. Ruth, on the other hand, is really going to God's word and saying, no, 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 I want to follow God's way. And Boaz is a redeemer. But Boaz realizes, wait a second, there's somebody else closer to Elimelech than me. And therefore, I wouldn't even be able to, even if I wanted to, step in unless he first took a chance. And so Boaz says, all right, let me first find out. In other words, let me handle it. He's taken this situation into his hands. He wants to take responsibility for this situation. Every relationship, this is a takeaway I want you to walk away with. Every relationship has obstacles for you and me to overcome. That's what this shows us. Okay? It's a good thing. It's not something that should frighten you or me or scare us away. All right? So if you're, you see somebody that may be a likely candidate, Maybe you're entering into a relationship or you're already in one and you're noticing, you're encountering obstacles. It's like, man, this is difficult. How do you know if I should even pursue her or him? How do you know I should propose to him or her? <laughs> Welcome to the club. It, obstacles are inevitable. Every relationship must have obstacles that you and I need to overcome. Uh, in fact, I'll t I tell women this often. You know he's the right man this way. If he's willing to do what it takes to be with you, then he's going to be willing to do what it takes to stay with you. Don't take that away from the man. So if he's encountering obstacles, he's, don't take that away from him. Don't kill the chase. Because how you see him respond to the challenges, maybe the obstacle is like, oh no, you're in school, I'm in school. What do we do? How... If, if we really feel like we're meant for each other, how can we? I mean, you still got three years. I got two. Or, oh no, I'm in debt. I mean, even if we were to go forward, I mean, would you really want to go forward with me? Or your parents aren't buying this. Mine are. How can I get through to them and win them around? Or you're in this state and I'm in this state. I mean, how would this work? I mean, I got a job in my city, but I'm not too sure I'll have something in yours. Or you come from this background and I come from this, and I'm not too sure my parents will accept that right? There are obstacles. I mean, look at Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's single. 
She has a pretty racy past, especially in relationship with Israel and the Moabites. She came from worshiping different gods, Chemosh. And if Boaz and his family or any of the kinsmen were, and their family were to find out, you, you brought who home? What? What kind of background? Obstacles. What does Boaz do? Does he run away and say, ah, I can't? No. He assumes responsibility. And he says, if there are obstacles, all that means is they're supposed to be overcome. That's how we should all treat it. So men, women, sisters, brothers, if, if you're out there and, and you're encountering obstacles, don't be frightened by that. Don't be discouraged by that. Let's take cues from Boaz, who serves for us as an example, as a model, as a case study for us to follow after. Amen? And so here he does. But if he's not willing to redeem you then, as the Lord lives, verse 13, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. It's interesting here. So right now we know, regardless of what the potential interpretation earlier could be, now we know the situation was a sketchy situation in the first place for Ruth to come, for Naomi to plan for Ruth to come in the way that she came. Because that's why he's saying here in verse 14, look, I can't have anyone knowing or seeing that you came to this threshing floor. Why? Because the message is clear. Everybody will read it only one way. But notice here, what does this teach us or communicate to us about Boaz and what should be about us? He has Ruth's well-being at heart, even through this. The reason why he's saying this is because he cares about her. He cares about her reputation. He cares about her purity. He cares about how she's seen. Remember, he says, all the townspeople know of you, and they speak of you as a worthy woman, earlier we said. You see, this is a woman who's had a character and a reputation that's preceded her, and he wants to do all that he can to preserve that. That's how you know that the person that you're interested in really loves you and cares for you and is not just driven by passion or lust is because at the end of the day, they really do have your interest at heart like Boaz does. Notice Boaz loves her. Boaz cares about her. Boaz is interested in her, but still he recognizes that there is someone else who is ahead of him in this leveret marriage process. Wow. I don't know about you, but that would be hard. I'm just thinking about my own wife. As soon as my eyes laid on her and I took an interest in her, I'd do everything I could to, to, to get in front of another man. I'm thinking. But Boaz is saying, you know what? As much as I love you and as much as I want to be the one who would redeem you, who would marry you, I really want what's best for you. And if what is best for you means me, then so be it. But if it means another man, I'm happy with that. Why? Because I want what's best for you. It's not about me. <sighs> this form of love, we don't get at Hollywood. <laughs> we, we don't get in our culture. This is, this is amazing. 
Not only was Naomi beginning to have a turn. You see what God does in hearts? We've got three single people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and we're seeing God work on their hearts. So even though they may come from difficult, trying backgrounds and situations, see what God does when he gets hold of a heart. In Naomi's case, he takes her from bitterness to a heart of repentance to where now she's outwardly focused interested in the care of others, which is why she came up with this plan for Ruth. Ruth, on the other hand, returns that blessing, that kindness, by going beyond what Naomi told her to do, to even wanting to have Boaz as her husband, so that Naomi would benefit from it and not just herself. And Boaz now, look at him. He says, look, I'm in. I want to help, and I'm on it. But I want you to understand that even if I may not be the one Who's the solution to your problem? I'm fine. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And now we learn um, in verses 15 through 17, he basically says, look, before you go, though, just before the sun comes, I need you to go so no one detects you. I want you to take all of this barley with you. Could be up to upwards of 80 pounds. Imagine her like taking her shawl off, filling it up, and having to carry it. I don't know how she would have carried it on her head or on her back, all the way back to Naomi. And Naomi sees her coming from afar. She finally arrives and she says, And <laughs> do I see a ring on the finger? So what did he say? What happened? Or did the plan flop? I sure hope not. And Ruth has a chance to say, um, this man Boaz has brought all of this food for you. And he says to me, wait. And he says, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. This is beautiful. You know what Boaz is doing? And what God is doing through Boaz? He's doing this. He's sending back this blessing and he's sending back this favor poured on to, show, to communicate to Naomi, I wasn't all that fond of your plan. In fact, I didn't agree with it, but I get it. But I want you to know, you didn't have to do, cut corners to bring this situation to this point. I just want you to know that. I'm going to bless you anyhow. God's going to show up anyhow. Ruth's going to get married anyhow. But you need to understand, this isn't happening because of your plan. It's happening because of God's goodness, God's loving kindness, God's tenderness, God's favor. What you deserve with that risky move is not this. It's something else. But I want to show you my heart, not by being bitter toward you for putting me and your daughter-in-law in a very risky situation that would have cost both her and me our reputation forever. Rather, I want to respond to you in kindness, in love, in grace, in great provision. How? Symbolized through all the food that went her way. Let me ask you a question. Are you like Naomi, where you want to believe God has a plan for you, but you're okay with going about that plan your own way? Are you someone who still hasn't gotten over the fact that it's not in our interest to cut corners to accomplish God's purposes? That God's purposes are best fulfilled in your life and in my life 
in God's way and in God's time and not in our own. You see, I th I'm afraid that there are many of us who, you see, Naomi was insecure. That's what that communicates, a whole lot of insecurity. She honestly did not believe that God would come through. She, she, she thought that she had to kind of help God, if you will, kind of help the plan, nudge him. And it, like God needed some assistance from us. And we see that through her rashness. And sometimes we're like that, aren't we? Right? It's like, I just don't believe that God could use me as I am. I'm, I'm nobody. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. So what we end up doing is we end up being somebody else that we're not in order to be used by God. And God says, uh -uh. I'm not going to use a false version of you. I'm going to use the version I created. Remember, remember Moses was like, you, you picked the wrong person. I stutter. I stammer. People will look at me and they won't want to follow me. You see a leader in me? And God says, haven't I not made the mouth? Haven't I not made you the way I have? You see, God doesn't need us to be what we're not to begin to use us is the point, I believe. God can use us just as we are. I know it causes a lot of us to tremble and to even be more insecure because we've never been comfortable in our own skin. So many of us will dress a certain way to draw attention. We'll be a certain person. We'll talk a certain way. We'll try to act like we have a certain amount of money or that we own a certain amount of things just to garner people's attention and favor. And God says, I see you. You don't make that much. You don't own that much. That's not you. Why are you trying to be someone you're not in order for my purposes to come to pass? Why not bother being just who you are as I've made you and allow me to work, allow me to show up. I believe that's what Boaz is doing through sending all of this food to Naomi through Ruth is to say, look, I want to show you. And, and he's hoping that Naomi, isn't that what Paul says in Romans 2, 4, that the, the, the kindness of God is meant to do what? To lead us to repentance. And Boaz thought, I got one of two ways of approaching this. I can write this note and give it to Ruth and say, now you tell your mother-in-law what I think about this bright idea. Now you go home and you tell her and you express her, but he doesn't. Rather, he says, you know what? I want to respond to this situation and to this person with grace, with kindness, with favor. I think that's Christ. You see, the good news of, of the gospel is that we are not treated as we deserve. But God has chosen to lavish us with his grace anyhow. You see, Boaz is a person who is someone known for pouring life on others. Pouring life into others. I want to be that person. I want you to be that person where we're not, we're not takers, we're givers. Amen? We're not in people's lives to take, we're in people's lives to give. That was Boaz. And Naomi concludes in verse 18 by saying, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He ain't gonna rest. I hope you're hearing this as you're tuning in. That's what God the Father says to you about Jesus. He says, I know you may be in fear right now. I know you may be struggling with anxiety and there may be a lot of things right now, 
where, that are making you have a lot of questions about God, about his timing, about your life and your relationships. And you're wondering, what sort of moves do I make? What's that next step? How do I know it's God? How do I keep from being paralyzed? How, how do I keep from having a deer in the headlights moment? What does Naomi say to Ruth? She says, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. That's Christ. You know what the father says to you right now by the spirit? He says to you, look at my son. The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Jesus says, my father works and I work. Jesus, when he came, he never rested until he completed the father's will and the father's purpose on this earth. And he was on that cross. And what did he say? It is finished. You and I have a greater Boaz. We, we, have a Boaz, we have a Christ who has redeemed us. You and I were sold into slavery to sin, family. You and I came from the wrong background. You and I came from a past that was spiritually confused. You and I, friend, came from a situation where we were needy and desperate and all that we had to offer this Jesus was an empty hand like Ruth. And he redeemed us anyhow. Boaz didn't have to redeem Ruth. He wasn't obligated to. The person who was nearer to her as a kin was. But he chose to, but he desired to, but he wanted to. Jesus wasn't obligated to redeem us from sin and Satan and death and the wrath of God when he came, but he chose to, but he desired to. And I want you to know that the one who did not spare his own son, Romans 8.32, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously, generously, freely give us all things? That's what Boaz did. He wanted to communicate Naomi. I know, I know you may have left Bethlehem at one time full and you came back empty, but I want to show you through this blessing that you're never going to be empty again. God wants to show you if you belong to Christ, you'll always be blessed. You'll never be empty again. Father, we come before you right now and ask that you would so work in our hearts. Thank you for this story of Ruth. Thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to live out of our bitterness. We can lay it at the foot of the cross and in return, receive your righteousness and receive the goodness and the favor that you bestow upon us because we belong to your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't have to grow inwardly self-absorbed. We get a chance to live for you and for others once again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is hope. That there is hope for those who've had past marked by betrayal or pain or loss of one kind or another. Thank you for Jesus as we see a picture of him dimly through Boaz. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that we respond to you, that we come to you needy and desperate, recognizing that you don't have to redeem us. You don't have to receive us. You don't have to make us your own, but yet you choose to, you delight to, you long to, you have. And for that, we are eternally grateful. God, I pray that none of us ever buys into the idea that we are empty when we belong to you. Because having you, we have all that we're in need of. And God, we celebrate your goodness in our life. We celebrate your loving kindness in our life. 
And we pray that you would help us to go forward from this place, renewed in our soul, renewed in our spirit, and hopeful again of what you're doing in each of our lives. We bless you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.